What's going on? Everybody, you guys awake? No, I'm just kidding. Hey, my name is Joshua. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, I get to hang out with middle school and high school friends as a student pastor. Some of you guys may know me as a dance pastor. Shout out to Visionite. Yeah, let's go. But hey, I'm glad to be here uh, with you. As a student pastor, I have to give shout out. Anybody know where we're going over the summer? Really, it's not even summer. It's like the beginning of the school year. Sorry about that, parents. August 8th through August 12th. We're going to Camp EXP. Come on, somebody. So with that said, I promise I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you have a rising fifth, sixth grader and a graduate senior, could you just raise your hand? Okay, come on, rising. There's like no one in this room. There's a couple of you guys. Well, for those of you who have signed up for camp, you can put your hands down. If you have it, you can keep them up so I can look at you and I can find you and get you to sign up. But seriously, we have a generous church who wants to send your students to camp for free. So if finances is the reason why you're not wanting to go to camp, uh, that's a lie. So sign your students up. Let us know you need some scholarship fund, and we can help you with that. And if you have a family reunion, um, it's important. But the family reunion at Camp EXP is more important. So send your student to Camp EXP. My life was radically changed, not by a camp, but by a name named Jesus. And I encountered Jesus in a real way at camp because we took our phones away. And when you don't have a phone, you just encounter Jesus. So that's the one reason why you should go. If you've ever been to Chili's, there's this cookie with ice cream on it. It's a date night for Faith and I. Well, this cookie with ice cream at Camp XV is so, so, so much better. So there's a lot of reasons other than Jesus to go to camp too. So sign your students up. You can go to the events page for that. Um, but glad, glad to be here with you guys. Thank you for those who've been asking about RE sleep and faith sleep. None of you have asked me about my sleep, but that's okay. Um, Over the last time I got to teach in March, I kind of shared a little bit of our story. Well, good news, the last three weeks we've been sleeping. So praise God. Long suffering for Jesus, but it's worth it. So keep us in your prayers. I was receiving one. I didn't know that we were going to be praying for sleep. I was like, yes, Jesus, come on, give us sleep, give us sleep, give us sleep, give us sleep. Um, So it's awesome to be with you in church. If you can stand to your feet, turn to Philippians. We want to read from the word of God, and we want to stand just as an external expression to say thank you and to worship God through the reading of your word. If you're able to, please do so. Philippians 1.27 reads like this. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word. As I've been praying for this day, every time I prayed, I kind of had this image of your word being like rain, and it would fall and it would bear fruit. So right now, Jesus, I'm asking, you're already here, but Holy Spirit, would you lead us to Jesus? And would Jesus become real? Would you come into this space, in this place? Lift up our eyes, see the King has come. So we want you in our midst, Jesus. Would you be welcomed? We love you. We worship you. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you find your seat, make some noise to Jesus. Tell him you love him. Tell him you're thankful. Tell him you're grateful. Yeah. So I'm excited to introduce to you a sermon series that Thomas 
uh, is going to be leading, but he said, hey, so we're doing the sermon series on the letter of Philippians, but I can't intro it, and you're the only pastor that is available, so you have to preach. I was like, what? So, uh, but no, I, I, I'm really honored we got to meet up and pray and kind of see the vision for the next five, six weeks, and I'm really, really, really excited. So there's one question we want to ask ourselves throughout the next couple of weeks, and is that of, is the good news about Christ redefining our story? Is the good news about Christ redefining our story? The gospel is the good news that God's kingdom has come near through Jesus. That the reign, the will, the rule, the manifest presence of God, the plan of God, the heart of God has come near into space, into time, into earthly reality in the life of the Messiah, the promised one to come, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life, tempted to sin, but yet did not, because he was in full submission to identity as a son who is loved, full submission to the work of the Holy Spirit, full submission to the plan of God. Jesus was 100% God, and he was 100% man, but he taught us the way of the kingdom of God. And he lived the perfect life that you and I fall short of every day. And then more than that, he gave up his life on a cross so that he would die on your behalf, that his blood would be shed for your forgiveness and for mine, that would be cleansed from what plagues our life in its sin. And the wages of sin is death. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He died our death, and in that death, the error, the sin, the wrong, all the brokenness of the world was crushed, and the wages of sin is death, and Jesus defeated that through death by his resurrection, and that is some good news, so that we can have life not only in the next, but we can have life now in the present, so all of that, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus means that the power of Satan meaning the power of evil that is in our world, the sin that is in me and in you, that's the problem of our world, is sin in us. The enemy, the sin, and the fear of death will no longer have the last word. But the last word is Jesus saying, it is finished. The work is done and the work has begun that the kingdom of God would advance in bringing love, joy, Peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That the gospel would be a story of a man who would come to change our story so that we can be fully alive, fully human, in Christ, living for the glory of God. Is that some good news today? That is some good news, and that is the message that we never need to leave, but we need to stay in the simplicity of the gospel, that the death and sin and the power of hell no longer have the last word. So it's this news of Jesus coming to save man from sin and Jesus coming to give us new life in the present that changed the author of the letter Philippians and his name's Paul. Paul was changed by the gospel of Jesus. He actually persecuted what Christians were known at the time as people of the way. Paul was killing people of the way in the name of God And then Jesus meets Paul 
and says, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul's like, oh, snap, I'm encountering the living God. And then Paul repents of his sin, changes, and then he ends up becoming a father of the faith, one of the apostles, meaning one of the sent ones to start the new community of Jesus, to reinstate the kingdom of God in the people of God. So Paul is in that space when he writes the letter of Philippians. And imagine with me that in Moore County, we're in a space where there's tension to be a Christian. And then more than that, this tension to eventually face persecution for those of us who are bold enough to radically live out our faith in the gospel of Jesus. And Ryan Peterson, our beloved lead pastor, news got attention of his sermons, but more than that, news got attention of us as a people living out these sermons. And we began to be a community of people in the way of Jesus. And we started to face persecution and Ryan was sent to jail. And then we go and give him a love letter, some Reese's cups, different things, some love offerings, some love gifts. And I'm sent on our behalf as a church to go to Ryan. And then Ryan, as a way to say thank you and as a way to encourage us, asked me to pin a letter and give it to the church. So today I'm here on behalf of Ryan to say, we're gonna dive into the letter of Philippians. Ryan is not in jail. It's not a true story. But that's the exact context of Philippians is the reality of a man writing a letter to a people because of a new story called Jesus. And it changed Paul's life. And then there's an invitation for that life to be changed in the lives of those around us. Do you guys remember the power outage? So not that that was persecution, but remember like we were here at church and there was like candles all around us and there was lights and we're just like, like going in on the presence of Jesus and like worshiping. I was like, this is the greatest day to be alive, to be a Christian. Cause like nothing's gonna stop us from gathering under the presence of God with the people of God so that we can fill the city with Jesus. Man, I was excited. I want you to imagine that tension and let's live out that tension in this beautiful summer of realizing there is a work to be done in us and through us. Our vision is to fill the city with Jesus. It's not a cute slogan. It's not a cute mantra. It's a dream that beats in our hearts. We have to fill the city with Jesus because our story has been changed by a man named Jesus. Anybody know what our mission is? So that's our, so not in a negative, that's our vision. That's the dream. That's where we want to go. We want to fill the city with Jesus. But how are we going to get there? That's our mission. So how are we going to get to the place of filling the city with Jesus? Discipleship. Discipleship. We will forever be in a series called Discipleship until Jesus comes back and steals his reign and the new heaven and new earth is here. We might have a little series here and there, but it's all under this word called discipleship. So we're stepping into the letter of Philippians, continuing in this series called Discipleship. Because it's a quote that I've come by, it's from Dallas Willard, and it reads like this. You can put your eyes on the screen. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those of us who are identified as, quote, Christians will become disciples. And here are three words that best uh, understand what that word discipleship is. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus. Steadily learning from him 
We're learning from him how to live life of the kingdom of heavens, how to live life of the kingdom of God in every corner of human existence. So the greatest need in our community is that those of us who are called Christians will become Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to follow the way of Jesus together in our city, that we would be with him, become like him, and do what he did that we would be convinced, not of an intellectual theory, not of an intellectual story, but a real reality that the kingdom of God has come near to bring the end of sin, the end of death, the end of wrongdoing, and bring justice once and for all, to bring a new community of people that would live for the glory of God. Does that not sound amazing that our sin would no longer have the last word, that death would no longer have the last word, that the spiritual warfare in our life would no longer have the last word, that the persecution and the suffering would no longer have the last word, but the last word would be the news of Jesus, the Messiah, our King, our Lord, our friend, our brother, our Savior, our everything. It's all for him. And this is what Paul invites us into So the question we want to ask ourselves is the good news about Christ redefining our story. The story that you and I have, the story that you and I are living is the good news about Christ redefining our story. I don't know what the answer is for you in this context and journey of your life, but for Jesus, it was absolutely yes. For Paul, it was absolutely yes. What we see in the letter of Philippians is this kind of major theme. Uh, It's on the screen behind me. Being a Christian is seeing our own story as a lived expression of the good news. Through four chapters, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, really it's not even chapters, it's one whole letter. In this letter of Paul, a historical document, but more than that, the living, breathing word of God by the spirit to an actual people who lived A couple years before us, a real story, a real people, a real message was given as a way of encouragement that we would see ourselves, our story, our life as a lived expression of the good news of Jesus. Chapter one, we see Paul imprisoned, suffering for Jesus. He says, whether I live or whether I die, it's gain to me because Paul says, if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. Let's go. If I'm still here, I'm gonna preach about Jesus, let's go. Like Paul was not, was not t- tied down to his circumstances because he was convinced of this story. Chapter two is one of the most beautiful uh, pieces of um, po- poetry in the, the Bible. And it's Paul talking about the gospel. Jesus became lowly like a servant to the point of death so that at every name, every name would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it talks about humility. It talks about how to be humble and live that way of life. Chapter three is Paul talking about everything that would quote unquote make him right with God and everything that would quote unquote make him right with people, meaning anything that made Paul good, he says, I don't care because my goodness comes from Jesus. He says, all of this is worth nothing He actually says, I count it as rubbish in comparison to the knowledge of knowing not only the resurrection of Jesus, but Paul says the suffering and the death of Jesus. Paul says, I want to know him like that. And that is where my righteousness comes from. 
which is the righteousness of Christ. That's where my story comes from, the story of Jesus. So Paul just invites us into finding everything in Jesus through chapter three. And then chapter four, if you're familiar with the letter, it's one of the favorites because it just simply is an invitation to how to find joy, contentment, and peace and happiness in struggle and strife. And we see men and women mentioned in the letter of Philippians. These were men and women who were radically changed by the story of Jesus. So we see four simple chapters inviting us into an overall story, which is the question, is the good news about Christ redefining our story? My computer is not working. Whatever. Oh, there we go. So there's the good news about Christ redefining our story. So story is something we want to focus on for the next few minutes. Um, you and I, we have a story that we believe about ourselves. And that story that we believe about ourselves is creating the narrative that we speak over ourselves and over others every single day. And then that narrative ultimately ends up beginning to create a type of life that we live out. There's a phrase that I've introduced uh, over the New Year's and I wanna introduce it again. It's that identity impacts beliefs. And beliefs is where story and beliefs is where narrative comes from. So identity impacts beliefs, beliefs form thoughts. Thoughts drive decisions, decisions birth actions. Actions make reality come to pass. It's not to say that everything we're doing is a byproduct of the reality because I didn't choose for my parents to get a divorce. That reality was something out of my control. So over the course of, since my eighth grade year, I've had to learn how to come to peace with that reality and it's come by understanding my identity. And I've been on a journey of my identity transforming my beliefs, my thoughts, my decisions and my actions to then come to peace with my reality. And I don't know what the story that you have today, but there's a story that you are telling yourself and it's creating the culture in which you live in. So the question is, what is the identity that we are walking in? What is the story that we have? There's an example that I came across as I was praying and about uh, the sermon and it's a story from um, Jean Valjean, which you guys know Les Mis, the novel, and the screenplay, and the musical. I love musicals, but it was three hours of singing, no talking. I mean, at least High School Musical has some talking in it and some singing. Whew. But nonetheless, I finished it, and it was a great encouragement for this message. But if you know the story, he is uh, in jail for 19 years because he stole a loaf of bread. We see that there's the power struggle of the rich and the poor and the injustice in the land in France, the French Revolution, and all so much different stuff. And so he stole a loaf of bread, which is obviously wrong, but he stole it because his family was starving. And then he's sent to jail. And over the course of 19 years, he begins to believe a lie, that he is a dangerous man. He's a convict. He's a criminal. He's a felon, and that his life would amount to no good. So he's released on parole, and he is sent to go to a city. So to get to the city, he has to have food and have lodging, but he's denied every right, every opportunity for that because on his passport, it says, I'm a convict. So everyone was just pushing him and shoving him away. He ends up on um, the bench near a bishop, uh, the church that he was at, and this bishop invites him for dinner and invites him to stay. 
we have this conversation where Jean Valjean is like, I'm a convict, can't you see my passport? I can't go in. And he's like, no, come, have dinner, have stay with me. So he stays, they have dinner. Over dinner, they have this conversation about changing into a new man. And Jean Valjean, in a way, kind of has this vow to himself, to the bishop as well, that like, I'm gonna become a changed person. I'm gonna become a better man once I leave. So then as the story goes, he sleeps and he wakes up stresses all get out because he's overwhelmed by the reality of what his life has come to. And there's this decision to be who he believes he is, which is a criminal, or to believe who he can be, which is a free man. And he chooses to resort to only thing that he knows how to do, which is steal. So instead of stealing a loaf of bread, now he steals a bunch of silver from the bishop's house. In the process of punches the bishop in the middle of the night, then leaves and goes, the story continues. The police find Jean Valjean, bring him to the bishop and say, we caught him stealing your silverware. And the bishop says, oh, he, that was a gift. And Jean Valjean told the police that too, that, hey, this is a gift. I didn't steal it. So the police are like confused. And the bishop is like, yeah. And then Jean Valjean is confused because like, this is totally a lie. And we see this moment, the police end up believing. And then the story and the narrative and the script, it's like eye to eye. And they have a conversation and the bishop says, Jean Valjean, you promised to me that you would be a new man. And then Jean Valjean has this moment of believing the identity that is being invited for him to become into. And as the kind of the script says that the silver was bought his soul so that he's no longer tied to evil, but he can become a new man. So it's just like a, a story of redemption, a story of grace. And if you know the story, he ends up learning to become accepting his new name, Jean Valjean, and what that means. And he ends up serving and loving and leading many people and changes his life and the life of his city. Our story, meaning our identity, is what redefines our story. The identity that we believe is what redefines our story. And the gospel is an invitation to discover what is most innately true about you. You are a human being created in the image of God with dignity, with value, with meaning, and with purpose. And though you struggle with sin and you struggle to save yourself, you struggle to become a better person, the gift of grace is that you've been forgiven, you've been accepted, you've been redeemed, and you've been made new. And Jesus has made a way for you to not identify yourself with your struggle, but to identify yourself with the resurrection and the power and the grace of God that you were made in the likeness of God, fearfully and wonderfully created for good works to bring a unique story to this world. There's no one else like you. No one was made like you. You carry an imprint that is unique to the personhood of God that he has given to you so that you would display his image to those around you. And you would have a papa who loves you and you'd have brothers and sisters who love you and you would experience what it means to be fully human and fully alive in the grace and the glory of Jesus. That's your story. And that's the deepest part of who you are but we are plagued with sin, we are plagued with evil, we are plagued with the enemy, we are plagued with death that is telling us a story that is wrong. But there's a new story, and there's an invitation in the letter of Philippians to discover this story of transformation.
So we are all being formed by the stories that we believe. And behind me, there's a graphic that kind of expresses a way of formation. We all want transformation. We all want to take our next step forward, but we don't know how to. And right now, we all have stories that we believe. We've been spending a lot of time talking about that. But then we have habits that are happening in our life. And I'm coming to realize more and more as I get super old, like 27, um, that we are like emotionally created beings, spiritually created beings, physically created beings. I think those three are supposed to connect. And they're supposed to help each one of the other form into wholeness. And I've been learning so much that my habits aren't just an output, but my habits are an input. My habits are actually forming me. And the things that I do every single day are not just doing something through me, but they're doing something to me. And they're creating me to be the type of person that has a hard time not just eating one cookie, but three. Why? For real, for real. Like, I am learning. There's nothing wrong with a cookie. Like, food is a gift to glorify God. But gluttony is not a gift to glorify God. So I'm realizing, oh, food is not the issue. It's my sin that's the issue. So that, that's, that's, that's like a little personal where I'm at in that. But there's habits that we have that are defining who we believe to be about ourselves. And then there's relationships that we have too, which is your family of origin, your ethnic background, your cultural background, your economic status, just the, the spaces of how you were nurtured and how you grew up. I come from a divorced, broken home. That greatly impacted my view about myself, my view about God, my view about others. And then at the center is a mixture of all of these with the word environments. Simply the spaces and places, the habits, the relationships, the stories, all and what they're forming this environment that we live in. So whether we are intentional or not, we are all in this space of being formed. But the good news about Jesus is that there's transformation. There's a way to become a disciple of Jesus, to be a student, to be a practitioner, to be one who is changed and transformed. And that's the next graphic behind me, is that discipleship is dying to yourself, confessing your sin, repenting of your wrong, changing your way to become a new person in the likeness of Christ. So there is this path to transformation. So truth is what's going to replace stories. You have sinned and maybe have sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned again. From the age of 13 to the age of 21, I struggle with an addiction to pornography. No matter how many times I sinned, I felt unloved, unworthy, to be love and the truth of the gospel is that in my lowest place, Christ died for me. And it wasn't until I learned to embrace that I am loved despite my sin, I didn't find transformation. But once I learned that I'm loved despite my sin, that love caused me to begin to live a life of holiness in relationship with Jesus. Truth changes the story that we believe. And then we have practice, which I want to spend a little bit more time on because this sermon series has a lot of practice. 
practice is what replaces habits. I think we can all agree in a natural earthly experience to learn the guitar, you have to practice. For me, I, in March, I ran a half marathon and it was awesome. And I played soccer through high school and I was the guy that would work out hardcore for three months and then stop for three months and then back for three months. So I had a little bit going for me, but at the very beginning, I could not run 13.1 miles, but I could run three miles. Now I couldn't run three miles at an eight average pace, but I could run three miles at a nine average pace. So I started to figure out what was my training process and program, and I just need to vent. So I did the half marathon. If you saw me, some young guy with awesome, amazing looking hair going, going down the road without his shirt, hopefully no one realized it was me. Um, it's like when you see like your teacher at the pool and you're like, this is weird. Anyways, it's just like, is that, my, is that a pastor of grace with the shirt off? But um, anyways, we digress. So I trained on, on like, you know, the highway and I trained at the reservoir. So I'm going to a trail run, which I thought was like the reservoir, where this trail run was up and down, up and down, 300 people going into the small little space. It rained the night before. There was a moment where I slid down and hugged the tree. And it was in that moment I realized I'm not running, I'm surviving for my life. So my wife is disappointed in me because after I finished, she was wanting to celebrate. And I was like, don't talk to me. <laughs> And then I'm like, why are you mad at me? I ran 13 miles. I guess she waited, but she was ready to be like, woohoo, we did it. I was like, it was terrible. It was so hard. <laughs> so I did it. Now, the reason why I did it, and I was able to finish because I trained how to finish. At the very end, I mean, I was like, usually you're supposed to run real fast when you see the finish line. I was like, I'm making it. And then some older lady just passes me. I said, no, I'm going to win. <laughs> so... I trained my body how to have that like last spirit to keep on going. So in the spiritual, we just assume because God is so gracious and benevolent and loving that we have this moment with God. Oh yeah, I can pray now. I can read my Bible. I can forgive my neighbor. I can tithe. I can practice repentance. I can do all these different things that Jesus tells me to do. But we forget that discipleship is learning how to live a new way of life. And it's this process of practicing a new way of life. Jesus says, the one who comes to me, the one who hears my words, and the one who puts them into practice is the one who builds his life on the rock. Meaning, he says, and the one who hears my words and comes to me but does not put them into practice is the one who builds his life on the sand. Now, I'm not preaching religion. I'm not saying we have to earn God's love, but I'm saying because we've received God's love, it changes us to become the image of love and the likeness of Jesus. So there's a reality to working out. I mean, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, if you look at the whole sermon, I think everything was do, 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 do. Jesus calls us to do something. So there's a reality to our faith that should look like me training for a half marathon. There should be a practice, a changing of our habits into the practices in the way of Jesus. And then we have community, which is how we're formed. We are found by a father, 
but we are formed in family. 16 years old in this space, I grew up as a Christian, loved Jesus all my heart, but there was a moment where I was stuck. Again, my, my sin, uh, my addiction to pornography, I was lonely, I was depressed. My family had been divorced for a couple of years. I was, in a rela- I was coming out of a relationship that was not godly, and I was just really struggling. And I was not running to God, but God was running to me, and I was embraced by the love of God. I can't explain the moment, but I felt like he held me in his arms, and just there was this moment where I was met in my brokenness. But what was really cool about that moment is he immediately said, now go tell Brandy DiBianca, who was my student pastor at the time. And we'd already had a built relationship, but I told him everything and I asked him to help me. And through a relationship with him in person, I found transformation. Because community, what community at its simple most essence place does, community is a gift from God to you and to me so that we can heal. Because community is a space where we can be seen for our utter filth and accepted for our utter filth and loved out of our utter filth into embracing holiness in the way of Jesus. Holiness can only happen in the context of intimacy with Jesus and the context of intimacy with another human being. If you would know the sins that I've confessed to men and to, a, and to people, you would be like, why is he on this stage? It's because the grace of God has transformed me as I learned to say, here is who I truly am and embraced and loved and then called into repentance and then called into holiness into Jesus. So we change our stories by truth We change our habits by practices. We change our relationships by community. And all of these can only happen if the presence of God is working. If we have truth, we have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge provides pride and arrogance, but it's love that actually builds up. If we only have practice and not the presence of God, we become people who are trying to earn God's love and do, do good things so I can finally be okay with God and okay with one another. If we only have community but don't have the presence of God, then we become someone who only chooses to be around people that looks just like me and agrees with only what I agree with. But if we have truth, practice, community, and the presence of God, it creates life transformation. Philippians 2.13 reads like this. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is the one who gives us the desire to change, and God is the one who gives us the power to change through him. And that is the invitation of discipleship. Discipleship is not another thing for you to add to your life and to your calendar so that you can once again already not feel good about yourself. Discipleship is an invitation to a man who is madly in love with you, who will accept you for your worst, but will cause you to realize his grace His mercy, his forgiveness is sufficient. His death is sufficient. His resurrection is sufficient. And the word that he has spoken over you and I every single day is it is finished. 
There's a pathway for transformation. It's not found in religion. It's not found in doing good things. Transformation is found in the embrace of a savior who is madly in love with the people. And that is why he came. And he is due his worth. Let the lamb that was slain receive the reward that was paid in full. We live a holy life not to earn God's love. We live a holy life because we cannot help but live holy lives because his love is so good. His love is not to condemn us. His love is to transform us. For God so loved the world, he did not send his son to condemn. He sent his son to save the world. We are a church that has a vision to fill the city with Jesus. Why? Because we've been changed. Not to step into religion, quote unquote, church boy, girl, church girl, we're doing play good things, we're doing church. No, we are invited into a messy reality called discipleship, which is learning to embrace truth, learning to embrace practice, learning to embrace community, and learning to embrace the presence of God. And that's what we want to invite you into, church, over the next five weeks, that we will go to the letter of Philippians and find truth, find practice, find community, and find the presence of God. Can you put up a screen behind me, the uh, kind of the bullets? So take a shot of this, a photo. We'll also be sharing it on Instagram and different things like that, or you can jot it down. So every week, we want to practice out discipleship to Jesus. It's not something to do, remember, for it is God who works in us and God who works through us for his glory. This is a relationship. This is friendship. So we want to devote ourselves to truth. And this week, it's going to be reading through Philippians 1, 2, 3, and 4. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how fast you read. The reason why we're doing that is when you study the Bible, we need full context beginning to end so that we don't strip a context of a verse out and we apply it to our life. We want to see the context of why it was written. And the letter Philippians was written to the church and it was read out loud in the setting where it was given. So I think it would be beautiful to practice that with your family, practice that with the best friend, even practicing that alone. You won't have much more, you won't have more reading that than this first week. Next week, it'll just be chapter one and each of those takes about two minutes to read. So look at your calendar, find about 20 minutes in the next seven days to sit down out loud, read through the letter Philippians because it's gonna be pretty powerful. We're going to practice out of prayer response, which is found in Philippians 4. And I'm going to give to you that, guys, right after I finish walking through this. And every week, there's going to be a like, life application from the letter of Philippians to practice out. Because, excuse me, we want to step into that flow, into that movement. Excuse me. And then community. We want to share this with each other. We want to share how is the truth of Philippians, how is the practice of Philippians impacting us so that we can talk a lot. Because remember, transformation only happens by being found in a family, by being formed in a family. So take that as an opportunity. I know the next couple of weeks it will be busy, but make time to talk with each other. And we as a church want to be able to tell you guys the story. So go to Instagram at gracechurch underscore sp and or greatersp.org slash story, or just tell all the team that you know who are on staff. Because every week we wanna, uh, whoever is teaching, we wanna start off the services with saying, hey, the Lett family this week read through Philippians and they experienced such a peace in their home as they read out loud the Bible. Simple as that. 
We just wanna be able to like encourage and build up our faith because we are in movement towards Jesus and doing that. Sound good? So this is an exciting opportunity for us as a church to take another step into discipleship. Again, not adding to our lives, but realizing this is an invitation to experience the presence of Jesus. And with that said, we wanna turn to Philippians 4 because this is the prayer response that we're gonna do. And you can go to our Instagram because we'll have it there too. So take a, um, a photo of, of what's behind me. But Philippians 4 reads like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this portion of scripture has been a lifeline for me. I now can interpret, understand, and practice this prayer out in a matter of minutes because I've been doing it since I was like 16 or 17. When I started to read the Bible, Philippians was only four chapters. I was like, I can handle four chapters. Um, but this prayer has radically changed my life. And I wanted to introduce it to you guys because it's gonna feel like there's a war in your schedule, in your time to be with Jesus, in the struggle that you are facing, but there's an invitation to experience the peace of God. So we wanna, number one, find a quiet place. And this is where you can uh, snap a, a screenshot of this practice. We wanna find a quiet place for your distraction instead of one to five minute timer. You'd be surprised how 60 seconds in silence with your eyes closed with some beautiful music like this just goes a long way. So if you've never done it, don't try to do five. Just start where, start where you're at and just breathe slowly, close your eyes in and out. And then secondly, once the timer is done, you wanna to begin to tell God what's on your mind and your heart. Express exactly what you feel. Part of the reason why none of, part of the reason why some of us are not growing is because we keep lying to ourselves and we feel like God cannot handle our pain. God cannot handle our struggle. God cannot handle our frustration. Man, we're human beings. We have to grieve loss. We have to process emotion. So give yourself freedom and space to do that and tell God exactly what's on your mind. He's not scared of it. After we do that, the Lord is near. We quiet, we practice stillness. Then it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer. So we fully express who we are to God. And then it says, bring your petition to God. So then we step into now asking God, God, I feel depressed, so would you please fill in the blank? God, I feel anxious, would you please fill in the blank? God, my boss sucks, would you please fill in the blank? Whatever it is, it's like pray God to intercede, to do something on that behalf. But then it says, present prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So then after we do that, we wanna tell God, thank you for who he is. God, you feel so distant from me, but your word says that you are close, so thank you. And just begin to tell God, Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Just whatever it may be, just begin to be gratitude, be grateful for the things in your life because we never wanna move away from the image of God in that space. And then lastly, we just wanna sit with the timer again so that we can enjoy the peace of God that is given as a promise that will transcend our understanding and our hearts and minds in Jesus. Would you stand with me, guys?
So we're gonna step into the letter of Philippians with truth, with practice and community because we have a savior who deeply loves us and wants us to be transformed into being people that are free. So if we would, this is, this is all invitation to step into that. We would love for you guys to step with us into that. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you love us, that you're with us, and that you're for us. We have such busy life, and it prevents us from experiencing love. So God, our prayer over the next five, six weeks is not to be busy, but to be still before you and to be still with those around us who love us and that we would learn to follow the way of Jesus together in our city. God, we thank you so much for your word that it is faithful, it is true. We thank you for what you're doing in us and we thank you for what you've promised to do through us. And we're just so honored and grateful to be called yours. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen.